0: The reading is from Mark's Gospel, and it's on page 1002 of the Church Bibles. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey and this was his message After me comes the one more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie I baptise you with water but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit
1: Good morning everyone it's uh, wonderful to be here, and a real privilege uh, to be able to uh, be preaching here this morning. Um, if you haven't met me before, my name is oh, a bit of application. Uh, my name is Tom, and uh, here with my wife Jess and our family. And uh, we just want to say how thankful we are uh, for the warm welcome that we've felt here since arriving. Um, it's a it's not an easy thing to come from Australia to England with three little kids, but it was—it's made so much easier by all of you who've just shown so much love um, making meals, giving us furniture and uh, just um, getting to know us. So we're very thankful for that and we look forward to getting to. It. if you haven't met you before, uh, please come and say hello afterwards. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you don't leave us in the dark but that you show us the truth. We pray that this morning uh, you would soften our hearts so that we are ready uh, to hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, as Simon mentioned, we are starting a a new series this morning, uh, the Gospel of Mark. And if you are new here with us, it's a great time uh, to to be here uh, because the Gospel of Mark is a fantastic Um, uh, introduction, fantastic explanation of who Jesus is, of why he came and and of how we should respond to him. Um, So uh, I hope uh, that if you are new that you will continue with us over the next few weeks uh, and, and get to know more about Jesus. Now the question that we're asking this morning is, are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for Jesus? Uh, the day before uh, we left Australia, uh, Jess and I decided that we'd do a bit of cross-cultural training uh, just to get prepared for coming to this strange land. And so uh, we, we went to see the new movie Downton Abbey. We thought uh, pretty much all of our knowledge of, uh, of the UK comes from Downton Abbey and Escape to the Country, which has seemed pretty spot on at the moment. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Uh, but uh, it, was, it was a bit of fun. And for those who haven't seen it, uh, the premise of the movie uh, was that the king and the queen were coming to stay at Downton for one night. And the whole movie was about the house preparing for the king coming to stay with them. And so downstairs, they're fixing the boiler, getting the food ready, fighting over who gets to serve who. And uh, upstairs, they're plotting and scheming about an inheritance and a lineage and all good Downton Abbey stuff. Uh, But the whole movie was about people getting ready for the arrival of the king. And that's really what we see uh, at the beginning of Mark's gospel. The beginning of Mark's Gospel is all about preparing for the arrival of Jesus. And so the question that we're asking this morning is, are we ready? Are we prepared? And to prepare us, Mark gives us a real introduction to this Gospel. Uh, He kind of gives us the big ideas of of this book that we're going to then trace through as we go through over the next few weeks, uh, the start of Mark's Gospel. And there are really three big ideas that he explores at the start uh, in these opening verses. Uh, We'll see who Jesus is, why he's come, and how we should respond. Uh, So let's, uh, if if you close your Bibles, open them uh, back up, and we're in Mark uh, chapter 1. And uh, let's have a look at the first thing Mark wants us to know, which is who Jesus is. Let's have a look at that first verse. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, there is a lot in that one verse. Uh, It is jam-packed. And I think we could do a whole sermon just on that verse. We could do three sermons on that verse. Don't worry, I won't. Uh, But uh, there is a lot in there to unpack. But the word that I want us to focus on to start with is the word good news or the phrase good news, uh, what is a literal translation of the word gospel. Uh, And I think it's important that we understand what Mark means when he says good news, uh, because we, we, we can get it wrong. Um, Just this Wednesday, uh, Jess and I had a bit of good news. We finally got a bed, uh, which was very, very good news for us. I've been on an inflatable mattress uh, up until now, and it had slowly been going down and down, and so it was very good news that we finally got a bed. Uh, But that's not really what Mark means when he says good news. It's not just something nice that has happened. Now, the word that, that uh, we, we get good news from, this word gospel, is actually a, a very important word in the ancient world. Uh, it was a word that was used to describe a public declaration. Uh, it was an announcement that was to be sent out throughout all the land, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just you know news that makes us happy, it was momentous news, life-changing news. And almost always, a gospel was political news. Uh, I really like ancient history, and I love the story of Julius Caesar and his son uh, Octavian, who eventually becomes the first emperor of Rome and is renamed Caesar Augustus. And I've heard that um, if you go to Berlin, in the Berlin Museum, you can find an inscription uh, dated from 9 BC. And on this stone inscription, uh, it, it announces the birth date of Caesar Augustus, and it announces it with these words, the beginning of the good news, or gospel, for the world. See, in the ancient world, the word gospel was used to announce the arrival of a kingdom, uh, the beginning of a new kingdom, the, the arrival of a new king. And it was to announce that everything had changed now that there was a new ruler to rule over all the land. And this gospel would be heralded out uh, to, to the ends of the earth. You would have gospelers or evangelists who would go out and tell people about this new king who now rules over us and call on people to give their allegiance to the king. And so if you know a bit of ancient history, after decades of turmoil, after civil war throughout the Roman world, now there was a new ruler Caesar Augustus who would bring peace to the whole Roman Empire uh, the whole Roman Empire and a gospel went out announcing he is ruler over all and calling on people to submit to him as lord and then about half a century later Mark begins his account of Jesus with these words The beginning of the good news or gospel about Jesus. You see, what Mark is saying is very significant. He is declaring a new gospel, a new kingdom, a new king, King Jesus, who rules over all. In the words of that great theologian, Yeezy, or Kanye West, Jesus is king. That is what is being said here. And Mark backs this up by then giving Jesus two very important titles, Jewish titles, that come from the Old Testament. He says this is the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the Hebrew word Messiah, or in Greek, Christ, refers to a figure in the Old Testament, a future king who would one day usher in God's kingdom and bring salvation to God's people. And similarly, the phrase Son of God was used in the Old Testament to refer to a coming king who would one day judge the earth and who would rule over the world forever. And Mark gives these two incredibly important titles to Jesus. He is saying that Jesus is this promised king from the Old Testament, the one who would one day come to rescue his people, the one who would one day come to judge the earth the one who will rule over all the world forever. And so in this opening verse of Mark's gospel, Mark is taking language from both the ancient Roman world and from the Hebrew Bible to help us to understand who this man Jesus is. This is the gospel of Jesus. It is an announcement of a new kingdom, a new king of someone who now rules over everyone and who calls on you to give him your allegiance. And this is the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised King from the Old Testament who would rule over the world forever. Uh, As uh, some of you know, the reason that we've come here is that uh, I'm studying at Cambridge. And one of the crazy things that I've discovered uh, since starting uh, to study, is the number of different things that you can get involved in there. I mean, if you tried to get involved in even a, a tenth of what they offer, you'd never get anything done. There's so many different things you can get involved in. And, 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 and I'm just being kind of bombarded with emails every single day about all these things I should attend. There's Coral Evensong, Extinction Rebellion Rallies, Hegel Reading Group, the Vegan Society, a lot of things, a lot of things to get into if you want at Cambridge. And I think for most people, Jesus kind of fits into that category. Uh, people think that being a Christian is a, a bit of a lifestyle choice. Uh, it's an event or, or, or it's a group that you can join if that's something that interests you, if that's something that you're into. And I think that's how people think of Jesus. That's how people think of Christianity. It's just, it, it, if that's what you're into, that's great. You know, I play rugby, she does yoga, he goes to church. And, you know, good on him, that's great. I'm glad he likes it. Not for me. Oh, doesn't really interest me. But if, if you get something out of it, if you like church, all power to you, that's great. I think that's how people think of Jesus. But Mark is saying that Jesus is not just a lifestyle choice. He's not just someone that you opt into if that's what floats your boat, as we might say in Australia. No, Jesus is someone that is of highest significance to every single person here today. Mark is giving us a declaration of a life-changing, world-shattering event, of news that changes the lives of everyone, everyone back then, everyone today. He is saying Jesus is King. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he says this news demands a response. How will you respond to this claim that Jesus is the king of the whole world? Well, that's how Mark starts, with this incredible verse to tell us of who Jesus is. But he goes on to then show us why Jesus has come. And to do this, he he takes us back to an Old Testament quotation, a prophecy from the Old Testament uh, from the prophet Isaiah. And we see this in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now we'll get to the messenger bit in a moment, that's John the Baptist and we'll have a look at him in just a second. But to start with, I want us to think about this word that's used in this prophecy, this key word, the wilderness. The wilderness. Because we're told that the voice was crying in the wilderness. Now, since coming to England, I've discovered it's a good time to be English and it's a bad time to be an Aussie. Uh, Yesterday was a very good time to be English. Well done. Uh, For those who don't know, I'm talking about the rugby. If you're not interested in rugby, sorry. But uh, if you are, it's a good time to be interested in rugby if you're English. Well done. That was very impressive. After you beat us, I thought, well, that's it. New Zealand have won. But uh, (laughs) congratulations, well done. I'm I'm very happy that you beat New Zealand, at least. That's excellent. So um, it's a good time to be English. It's a bad time to be an Aussie, though, I have to say. Um, Australian rugby is not what it once was. Uh, we, it, you probably don't follow Australian news, but if you do follow Australian news, you would know that people are calling for the sacking of, a, of our CEO. Our coach has already resigned. For some reason, they sacked... Well, I know why, but they sacked our best player, Israel Folau. Australian rugby is not going well. And you might say that Australian rugby is in our wilderness years. Have you heard that expression before? And when you're in your, the wilderness years, often comes up in biographies, you know, the wilderness years. It talks about a time when things seem lost, all is lost. When nothing seems to be going right and you can't see the way forward. And this phrase actually comes from the Bible because the wilderness is a highly significant image throughout the Bible. Uh, See, a long time ago, God's people were in slavery in Egypt and God, he rescues them out of Egypt. And rescuing them out of slavery, he, he calls them to be his people, but there's just one problem. Uh, they decide that they don't want to follow him. Uh, they disobey God. They turn away from him and they start worshipping false gods instead. And so in punishment, God drives them into the wilderness, into the desert, and they have to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And this, this picture of the wilderness, it's a picture of a time when you are far away from God, when you are under God's judgment, when you are lost And you can't see the way forward. But God uh, hasn't given up on his people. He loves his people. And so he calls them uh, out of the wilderness. He brings them into the promised land. And he tells them, "If, if you would obey me, if you would follow me, then things will go well for you. But there's just one problem. And that is that they still don't obey God. They still decide to go their own way, to live life their way instead of God's and to follow after false gods. And so what does God do? Well, again, he drives them out of the land and they are now in exile. And their exile is described again as these wilderness years, this time where they are far away from God, under God's judgment. And at this time when they're in exile, because they have disobeyed God, God sends a prophet, the prophet Isaiah to speak. He talks about their exile. And he speaks about this time that they are in the wilderness. And he says, well, God says a promise. He says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And what Isaiah is prophesying is that there will be a time, there will come a day where God will come back to his people. When he will call them out of the wilderness, where he will bring them out uh, of their judgment. And of course, what he's talking about and what we heard in, in the reading before from Isaiah is the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah prophesies about a time where God will forgive them for their sins, bringing them out of the wilderness and back to himself. And this is a pattern that we see all throughout the Old Testament. That when we sin, when we... Reject God, when we say to God, I don't want to live your way, I'm going to live my own way instead. We are in the wilderness. We are far from God and under God's judgment. And yet here in this prophecy of, of Isaiah, we're told that there will come a time when God will come and forgive us for our sins. And how does Mark begin his gospel? He begins by reminding us of this prophecy. And then we hear that voice of one calling in the wilderness, of John the Baptist. And what does he preach? Have a look at verse 4. He preaches a baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. See, what sort of a king is Jesus? Is he just another Augustus Caesar who's going to conquer the world and enslave everybody? No, Jesus the King has come to rescue us to save us from our sins, to bring us out of the wilderness under God's judgment and into his kingdom. Uh, As we prayed about earlier, I was shocked, as I'm sure all of you were, to read in the news about the 39 people, 39 souls found in a truck in Essex. And I can't begin to imagine the kind of evil uh, that leads to human trafficking, to, to stuff people in a container like that and allow them to suffocate to death. And yet that, that's the world that we live in. We, we mustn't ever shy away from the realities of our world. This is our world. And when we think about it, just think about what kind of a world we live in where millions of people are desperately taking these risks to just come to a country like this. And I think it reminds us that it's not hard to see that our world is in the wilderness. It is a world under sin, a world that has rejected God and gone far from God and has made such a mess of it. Of course, it's not just out there. It's, it's, it's in this country as well. It's in Australia, this evil It's in our own communities, if we're honest. It's even in our own hearts. And yet, in this wilderness, a voice cries out Prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus has come to rescue us from our sin and to bring us into a kingdom so unlike our world, out of the wilderness. Well, Mark is preparing us, he's told us who Jesus is, he's told us why he has come. Finally, how should we respond? And this is where we get to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the messenger that Isaiah spoke of, and he really had one job. It was to prepare people for the coming of the King. And John does this by preaching. He does it by proclaiming a message. And his message is very simple. This is his message. Turn to Jesus. Have a look at verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, That word repentance, it just means to turn around or to turn back. Uh, In Australia on the motorways, there are these big red signs, very big red signs. And the big red signs say, wrong way, go back. Uh, And if you ever do find yourself in Australia and you see one of these signs, you'll be in a bit of trouble, because these signs are the signs you see if you go onto the motorway onto the wrong side of the road, uh, and you're heading at 70 miles an hour in the wrong direction towards oncoming traffic. And that is exactly what John is doing uh, as he comes uh, preaching. He is holding up a big red sign that says, wrong way, go back. Uh, The world is headed away from God in our sins. We've turned from God and we are in the wilderness. And John is holding up this sign saying, Wrong way, go back. That's what repent means. Turn back. Turn back to Jesus. And John promises two wonderful things that will happen if we do this, if we turn back. The first is that our sins will be forgiven. That's what we're told. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside comes out confessing their sins because they know that if they turn back, they will be forgiven. I think when I talk to people who don't go to church or who aren't Christians and I invite them to come along to church or to find out more about Jesus, I think one of the biggest barriers for people is that they think that they have gone too far that God won't want anything to do with them, that the church would never accept them. If if you knew what I was really like, no, no, I, I, I could never come back to God. And yet here is the wonderful promise of the gospel, that if you turn back to Jesus, you will find forgiveness for your sins. But that's not all that will happen. When we turn to Jesus, we're not just forgiven, but we are changed But what does John say right at the end? He says, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. When we turn to Jesus, we are changed by Jesus. He takes away our sins, but then he pours out his spirit into our hearts. And as he does that, his spirit will slowly change us so that we start to listen to Jesus. We start to follow him. We start to obey him and live life his way rather than our own way. Jesus brings about real change in our life when we turn to him. And so this is John's big call. This is how he prepares us. Repent. Turn back to Jesus. And you'll find forgiveness for your sins. And you'll be changed by the Spirit. And notice that John says only Jesus can do this. I love how John the Baptist is constantly pointing away from himself... And towards Jesus, did you notice that? Yeah, he says, oh, "I'm not worthy. The, the one who comes after me is far more worthy than I am. I, I can't even untie the the, the sandals on uh, the, the laces on his shoes. Well, he doesn't have laces, does he? The the straps on his sandals. I can't even untie that. He's so much more worthy, and he says he's so much more powerful. Now, why is he saying that? Well, it's because John knows. That there is nothing he can do to help all these people who've come out to him. He's utterly powerless. But he knows that there is someone who can help them. Jesus. And so he's constantly pointing away from himself to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can forgive them for their sins. Jesus is the only one who can give them the Holy Spirit. John's ministry of baptism, it was with water. It was a sign pointing them to Jesus. But there was nothing magical about the water. The water wasn't going to do anything for them. No, what they needed was Jesus. Only he could forgive. Only he could give the Spirit. And I think, just as an aside, that is a helpful reminder for us who trust in Jesus, isn't it? That our motto in life must always be I must decrease, he must increase. Because we actually can't do anything on our own to help those around us. That if we truly care and love about our neighbours and and, and our workmates and and, and our family members, that what we need to be constantly doing is pointing them to Jesus. This is what John is saying only Jesus can help. Um, Many of you would know Mark Smith, uh, who's now the Dean uh, of Clare College. Uh, and that just so happens to be the college that I'm at uh, in, uh, in Cambridge as well. And it's been really lovely to meet Mark and to get to know him. Uh, and it's an amazing opportunity that he has, actually. He, he runs a chapel service uh, three times a week. Um, and what shocked me when I met up with uh, Mark was he said, people come along. I was like, <laughs> unbelievable, I can't believe it. Lots of people come along. Uh, but, but, but then I found out the reason they come along, it, it's, it's not because they long to hear the word of God, uh, but because Claire has quite a good choir. And uh, people really love to hear the choir. They love to hear uh, the, the beautiful music. And, you know, I think that's nice. That's nice that there's a good choir and uh, I, I like good music as well. But wouldn't it be a tragedy if someone goes along and hears this music But misses what it's actually all about. That they miss the very one who can actually help them. See, as beautiful as the music is, it can't save you. As beautiful as the architecture might be, it can't help you. And the only one who can help us is Jesus. And so, John points away from himself, away from everything else, and says, Go to him. Because he can forgive you. He can change you by his spirit. Well, what should we take away from all of this today? Uh, I'd love for you to uh, do something for me. Turn with me uh, a few pages over to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, This is uh, smack bang in the middle of uh, Mark. And... um, Right here in the middle, Jesus asked his disciples who they think he is. Have a look with me at verse 29, it's on page uh, 1012. Jesus asked, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Uh, Just flick over a couple more pages to Mark 15. Mark chapter 15 and verse 39, it's on 10.23. This is where Jesus has just died on the cross. And we're told a Roman soldier was there witnessing it. Verse 39, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Isn't that interesting that Mark points to two people, a Jewish fisherman and a Roman soldier, and he shows that after everything that they saw of Jesus, after everything that they heard, they each came to their own conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is King, and they turn and bow the knee to him. And what Mark is doing in this Gospel is he's inviting us to join these people on their journey of discovery as they come to see who Jesus is. let say, I, I don't know where you're at. You might be new here or you might have been here for a long time and, and you're still a bit sceptical uh, about all this Jesus stuff and you, and you think, well, I don't really know if I believe any of this. And if that is you, you're so welcome here. You're very welcome and it's wonderful to have you. Uh, Or or you might be somebody who's been here a long time, been a Christian a long time, but maybe you're feeling a bit flat in your faith. You've sort of heard it all before. You've thought, yep, Tom, those three points, I know it all. Thank you. That's fine. Uh, But you're just feeling a bit dry in in your walk with Jesus at the moment. If that's either of you, what Mark is doing in this gospel is he's inviting us to go with him on this journey of discovery or perhaps a journey of rediscovery of seeing who Jesus is and why he's come and how we should respond to him. And Mark will call on each of us to make our own decisions. Who do you say that he is? And will you turn? Will you repent and come to Jesus? And I want to invite you to join us uh, over the next few weeks as we go through uh, the Gospel of Mark. I want to invite you to come to your own conclusions On Jesus. So let's pray. Loving Father, we thank and praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, He is our King, He is our Lord, and we thank you that He came to save us from our sins. Father, we pray that this morning our response would be the same as what John calls that we would repent for the forgiveness of our sins. And we ask this in your son's name.
0: Amen.